I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the Revolutionary War, part one. So grab your taxation without representation. And let's get civical. Hello, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I'm Arden Walentowski. And it's almost 4th of July. She's so close. She's so close. I can smell. She's so close. The hamburgers and hot dogs. I can smell freedom. Mm -hmm. I really, I can smell it in the air. Mm -hmm. And it smells like a charcoal grill. 
Mm-hmm. It does. It does. It smells like a charcoal grill and it smells like the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, which is my oh, favorite wait. event. I, okay. So we went to Coney Ooh. Island the other day. Yeah. I have never, I had never been. I have lived in this city. That's insane. It's insane. I have lived in this city for like 18 years. I don't know, since 2004. Mm-hmm. And I had never been to Coney Island. It was, we didn't go to, like, we went to the beach. We didn't go to the amusement park, but we like, Went to the sure. brewery and went to the beach. It was really fun. But I was like, I want to get a Nathan's hot dog because I've never, like, it's part of the thing you have to do. Yeah. But the line was so long. It's very long. It's very like, long there. Especially, I mean, also, you're trying to get a Nathan's hot dog in late June at Coney Island. Yeah, that's like when the people come to get the hot dogs. It's true. I mean, I guess you got to go I, in the off season. Okay. I guess maybe I thought it wouldn't be so long because it was a Thursday at like four. Honey, kids are not in school. That's true. All bets are off. Oh, God, there were so All many small children. All bets are off. It's, it's yeah. true. Yeah. It's true. But it will be worth it when you do finally have one. I mean, you can get a Nathan's hot dog elsewhere, but it's like, it's the get place. it from the stand. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Also super fun in Coney Island is the... Um, the Brooklyn Cyclones, which is a minor league baseball team that feeds oh, yeah. into the Mets. And they play in a stadium on Corona. It's the best. It's oh, we passed it. We passed yeah. it. Like either they were playing or they were warming up. But like we we passed. Yeah. There was like a little opening and they were like baseball players just like hanging out. And they waved yeah. to us. It was so Tickets funny. are like $15. And like the trash of the trash goes to these games, myself included. <laughs> and and you just like because ch- tickets are so cheap. So you're literally sitting like. Behind home plate. Oh, that's so for awesome. For like $25. Oh, I love it. And so it. is like Jerry from Staten Island. And Jerry's like heckling the other team. And it's like, they're right there. It's the best. That's so the best. awesome. Yeah. So definitely recommend that. And eventually you will get your Nathan's hot dog. I will. I will. So with that said, in celebrating 4th of July, we are unfortunately not doing a deep dive into the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Although, idea for next time. Mm-hmm. We are, in fact, going to finally, like, finally start to tackle the one, the only, the reason we're all here, the Revolutionary War. Hello. Hello. Okay, get your bayonets, get your pantaloons, because we're going back to 17. So this will be a two-part episode. This is part one which is all about what led up to Les Révolutions. And then part two, which comes out the week of July 4th, will be all of the battles, the boom booms, the bang bangs, the actual war herself. (laughs) But we can't understand the boom booms and the bang bangs without understanding what the British were up to before that. A lot of stuff. They were doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, they're up to some shit. I mean, the British were shitty. No offense to our English listeners. You know we love you. But, like, y'all were being kind of dicks, if I do say so myself. Uh, You just did. I think also, too, (laughs) like, part, when I read it, like, some of the stuff was, like, they had paid a lot of money for the French and Indian War. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. You know, like, okay. The British did? The British did. Like, oh, okay. Sure. But also then... Like, but but then I go back to how they ever thought that they could, like, have these colonies an ocean away when we didn't yet have, like, steam power. 
and like not yeah. expect a revolt is like the pinnacle of stupidity. Like a little sure. bit of forward thinking, a little bit I mean, of but like, like the British Empire. That was like a thing. They were like empire thinking. Yeah. They were like, you know what? Let's kind of do what the Romans did and just try to take over everywhere. Yeah. This isn't surprising to me at all. This is classic British because they wanted to be like the French and the Spanish who were both also off in, you know, South America and Africa, just being like, I think this is my land. I think this is my, I found it. Nobody else is here except for I these. think you all support King George. Yeah. Yeah, they don't matter. So before we jump in, do you want to talk about our Sarsha Ronan Sarsas? The Sarsha Ronan Sarsas are... Because we didn't use her last week, we had I had to go back to our tried and trusted true friend history.com. Yeah. Yeah. They had like they were the ones that had like the seven causes of the Revolutionary War, which I didn't Ooh. Yeah. I didn't use all of them because they were the ones who were like Lexington and Concord. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I think that we were was already a fighting battle. Right I think we were already fighting. Yeah. Okay. Thoughtco.com had a great, like, something similar, but then also, like, but people were thinking more independently. Like, they went a little yeah. more macro. And then Britannica, just a little bit for some odds and ends. To tie up those loose ends. Yeah. Those loose Revolutionary War ends. Yeah. Well, let's jump right in. So, like, what happened in a very macro sense? So these notes are coming from history.com. So the American colonists' breakup with the British Empire in 1776 was not a sudden, oh, impetuous act. Instead, the banding together of the 13 colonies to fight and win a war of independence against the crown was a culmination of a series of events which had begun more than a decade earlier. Yeah, this was a long time coming. Oh, yeah. And to the credit of the, our American forefathers, I, they really did try to like get the British to like work with the British. They did. They, they were, were like, like they're they, like, if you'll stop doing this, we'll stop revolting. And the British are like, well, okay, well, we're not going to stop doing this. And right. the Americans are like, okay, okay well, they're not going to stop revolting. revolting. Hashtag revolt now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Escalations began shortly after the end of the French and Indian War, known elsewhere as the Seven Years' War in 1763. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, wars are like, because now we're organized with war as the colonies. And we're like, OK, we did the French and Indian thing. Like, we could do this. We could do this again. Like, we could do this they're again. They're a whole ocean away. What are they going to do? Yeah. Like, come fight me. <laughs> Come fight me. Cut, like, what are you going to do? Be here in six like months? A, a drunk girl to bar. Come at me. Come at me. I'm really not messing around no. now. So, yeah. So that's the kind of macro overview. And then, so this next little section is coming from thoughtcode.com, which I thought was just so, like, it was just a nice reminder yeah. of, like, the, the, like, the mentality of, like, the era of the time and kind of social construct and like what kind of philosophies were floating in the air mm. at the time. So this is just a little bit about that, just to like kind of set the stage before we move into the like, the fuck did the sure. British do? So like I said, coming from ThoughtCo, quote, in order to understand what led to the rebellion, it's important to look at the mindset of the founding fathers. It is important. It is important to it get should, inside their heads. It's really I, important. I want to really important. I want to be inside of Benjamin Franklin's skull. You have no idea. 
You have no idea how much I want to be inside his his mind. Stallion, just a stallion. I think I would want to be either Ben Franklin or like maybe Thomas Jefferson. Mm. Like, I don't know. Yeah. No, I don't know. I'd have to really think about it. Or maybe like a John Hancock, somebody who was like sure, there. Sure, but not like, yeah. But like, but not like causing yeah. trouble. Like, yeah, you know? like what did, what did like Sam Adams think of how everything was going? Like somebody who wasn't, you know, wasn't president. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like didn't become president. <laughs> That's true. Like I kind of wonder, I'm like, I wonder if they were like, okay, this seems a good idea, but I have, I have some, some questions. questions. Or if they were like, fuck it, let's, let's rock and Imagine roll. Imagine Sam Adams is like, okay, Alexander Hamilton is a bitch. Like this is insane. <laughs> Drama, Drama queen. Uh, continuing with the notes, it should be noted that this mindset, the mindset of the founding fathers, was not that of the majority of colonists. I love, I love it. it. There were no pollsters during the American Revolution. Amazing. Mm-hmm. No robo no robocalls. <laughs> no random text messages. No phone calls being No like, spam likelies. <laughs> no, no. People were just living their lives. But it's safe to say that its popularity rose and fell over the course of the war. Historian Robert M. Calhoun estimated that only about 40 to 45 percent of the free population supported mm. the revolution. Well, about 15 Emphasis on free. Free, 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 free. While about 15 to 20 percent of the free white males remained loyal, meaning to the British. Sure. The 18th century is known historically as the Age of Enlightenment. It was a period when thinkers, philosophers, statesmen. We don't have any statesmen anymore. And I feel like that's... I mean, I guess they would be ambassadors. I guess. But to me, statesmen is more like like an important figurehead. Like Obama. I think o- I think Obama might be like the closest yeah. thing we have to a statesman. Somebody who's I like... Think, I think you're right. I think former presidents are the closest thing that we have. Clo- yeah. Yeah. Uh, to statesmen. To statesmen. So thinkers, philosophers, statesmen, and artists began to question the politics of government, the role of the church. Yes. Question the role of the church. Question it. What's she doing? What's she doing? Why does she get special privileges? And other fundamental and ethical questions of society as a whole. The period was also known as the age of reason, and many colonists followed this new way of thinking. Great, they're yeah. turning over new leaves. They're reinventing they're like, themselves. Wait, they're more like, of us can read. Hold right. on. Why, Hold why on. are we listening to these people? <laughs> like, why, why is the church the be all end all? Like, let's sure. have some separation of church and state. Like, yeah. No, they're like rethinking the structure that they've lived under and, and are being like, methinks this is crap. Methinks something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Mm hmm. A number of revolutionary leaders had studied major writings of the Enlightenment, including those of Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and the Baron de Montesquieu. From these thinkers, the founders gleaned such new political concepts as the social contract, limited government, the consent of the governed, and the separation of powers. Mm. So they're like, Thank you, John, John, Jean, John, and Thomas. Yeah. And Baron. And Baron. Well, (laughs) that's the Baron. The Baron. Oh, the Baron the de Baron. Montesquieu. Yes, that's true. And the Baron de Montesquieu. Great name. Great name. I want a the in front of my name. Great the, title. The, the Baron. The Baron. Sure. The Baroness is coming. That's mm-hmm. what I want people to say when I'm going to arrive somewhere. The Baroness is expected to arrive soon. The Baroness de Houston. The Baroness de Houston. <laughs> okay, love it. We'd love to see it. 
Yeah, but they're, like, learning about, like, the consent of the governed. Like, people should have a say. And, like, they get to... You can't just rule with an iron fist. Like, why do you think the British had so many rebellions over the years? Because the kings were like, I want all the food and the money and the shelter. And you all can just lay in a field and die. And people were like, sure. I don't feel like doing that anymore. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that no more. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. And then the separation of powers. They mean, like, you know, we've talked about this before. Like, they saw, like, they they were used to kings and monarchs. And they were like, mm, maybe we spread this out. Maybe spread we, this out. we don't put Take all it, of Take it like eggs. a piece of toast. Yes. Spread the butter out. Spread the butter out. Spread the butter out. So Locke's writings in particular struck a chord. His books helped to raise questions about the rights of the governed and the overreach of the British government. They spurred the Republican, lowercase Republican, ideology that stood up in opposition to those viewed as tyrants. So the Republican view, meaning like not the party, but the like. In a republic, you have smaller entities and it's of the people and the people get to vote, you know, for their representatives, et cetera, et cetera. An insane thought. An insane thought. An insane thought. Men such as Lizzie's boyfriend, Benjamin Franklin, and John Adams were also influenced by the teachings of the Puritans and the Presbyterians. Okay, go off, Puritans. I know. Uh, Go off. Uh, These people seem to be on to something. These teachings included new radical ideas such as the principle that all men are created equal. What a radical, radical. that is the most radical thing we could have ever conceptualized is that we're all created equally. Why does one person have more value than another? They don't. Sure. But of course, in this context, it was only white males who were created equally. I mean, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Let's not give them too much credit. Also, the belief that a king has no divine rights. Yes, he's not sent Mm. by God. No. no. God is busy. <laughs> it's not worrying about what the king, the king. No, no, come on. No. Together, these innovative ways of thinking led many in this era to consider it their duty to rebel against laws they viewed as unjust. Protest, honey. Mm-hmm. Protest. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the impact of simply just the location of where we were versus where the British were and how that played into the Revolutionary War. Because as we all may know, oceans between us, Mm -hmm. lots of landscape to deal with. So these notes are also coming from ThoughtCo. The geography of the colonies also contributed to the revolution. Their distance from Great Britain naturally created a sense of independence that was hard to overcome. Yeah, it's like it's like when I see some a situation where a teenager's living in the garage, like the the like above mm. the garage area of a house, you yep. know, that's like that's like re that's like done and there's a bedroom over there. I'm like, they're basically in another house. They're yep. gonna feel like they can get away with oh, yeah. more than what they could feel like they could get away with if they lived in the house. Right. Same thing here. 100%. Those willing to colonize the new world generally had a strong independent streak with a profound desire for new opportunities and more freedom. Yeah, they were coming to build a better life. Uh, they weren't coming to live in Britain squared. Like, no, God. no, no, no. They've, they've already like self-selected into a thing, into like living in the colonies, like 
because of the goals that they like they're not gonna move who would do yeah. that like who would move and then be like it's okay you can still yeah take my please continue to rule like, over me keep yeah. texting me it's fine yeah thank no. you yeah these were people who self-selected they were like uh bye bye good and good riddance i'd rather build a log cabin in the woods somewhere than continue to live in stinky old london sure fair and that's fair the proclamation of 1763 played its own role. After the French and Indian War, King George III issued the royal decree that prevented further colonization west of the Appalachian Mountains. The intent was to normalize relations with the indigenous peoples, many of whom fought with the French. A number of settlers had purchased land in the now forbidden area or had received land grants. The Crown's proclamation was largely ignored as settlers moved anyway, and the, quote, proclamation line eventually moved after much lobbying. Despite this concession, the affair left another stain on the relationship between the colonies and Britain. I remember this. I, I now remember this whole thing. And it's interesting because in sort of relearning about it now, I'm like, on King George's side about this. He's literally like, we're not going to take over the indigenous lands because we're going to try to actually improve relations with them. Right. And so therefore we're not going to actually steal their land. Right. And we being kind of U.S. dot are like, no, we're going to steal the land. We're going to steal the land. Like we're going to steal the land. It's actually our land because we bought it from somebody who actually doesn't own it, but says that they own it. But says that they own it. See, I have this you piece know? of paper that says I now own this. That land. it's mine now. Yeah. So, you know, the Native Americans can simply just get off my land that is actually theirs. So weirdly, fully on King George's side here. Fully on King George's side about this thing. Yeah. No, I... I agree. I uh, but this particular thing, I this am just on this one. Georgia side. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, okay, settle down, colonists. Like, <laughs> it's not your land. Not your Obsessed. land. Obsessed. Obsessed. We're gonna take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. So now we're going to talk about the things that the British did that really angered the colonists and kind of set up this whole like you know fet- like the people were already angry they're already like living yeah. in this mentality of like independence from great britain and they're an ocean away so what can they actually do and then the british started like really imposing these acts that we've all most of us maybe have learned about at some point mm-hmm. in grade school you could or- say they were acting up and oh. lashing out oh <laughs> I cannot believe you just did that. That was really This good. section is called Acting Up and Lashing Shout. Out British Edition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> British Edition. Yeah. So we're just going to talk about some of these. Some of them are acts. Some of them are events. Most of them you would have heard about. But like maybe you're going to be like, what was that? Oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember fourth grade. Great. So the first one was the Sugar Act in 1764. <laughs> Go off. The Sugar Act. Don't touch my sugar. No. Fuck you. Also called the Plantation Act or Revenue Act. This is all coming from Botanica, this little section on the Sugar Act. The Sugar Act was British legislation aimed at ending the smuggling trade in sugar and molasses from the French and Dutch West Indies and at providing increased revenues to fund enlarged British Empire responsibilities following the French and Indian War. Actually, a reinvigoration of the largely ineffective Molasses Act of 1733, the Sugar Act provided for strong customs enforcement of the duties on refined sugar and molasses imported into the colonies from non-British Caribbean sources. So they're like, you can, there's no, no black market in sugar and molasses. If you want it to come in, if you want to import it into the colonies, fine. You have to do it from us. If it's not coming from a British owned, a part of the British empire, you're going to pay more taxes on it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And they did, the Mm. colonists did not like that. Cause like, they're like, I mean, I would revolt. I don't know. Yeah. Because it's like, why would I pay six pence for Gosh. sugar tax when I could pay three pence for my same sugar? Like, why, exactly. why would I pay? I du- mean, why would I pay double the pence? There's no free economy. No. And that's the problem. Yeah. 
protests had been received from America against the enforcement of the Molasses Act. So the Americans did not like the Molasses Act from 1733. Yet the British were like, well, let's try her again. <laughs> Together with a plea that the duty be set at one penny per gallon. Although warnings were issued that the, ter- that the traffic could bear no more than that, the government of Prime Minister George Grenville refused to listen and placed a three-penny duty upon foreign molasses in the act. I mean, that's shitty. It's shitty. It's shitty. The preamble of which bluntly declared that its purpose was to raise money for military expenses. <laughs> for military? What? <laughs> we hereby pass this act to buy guns. We're funding the military through our taxes? No. Yeah. The act thus granted a virtual monopoly of the American market to British West Indies sugarcane planters. Early colonial protests at these duties were ended when the tax was lowered two years later. Well, sure, because they had to get word that, like, the Americans were not happy that had to go back across the ocean. Then they had to change it and then had to go back across the ocean. Yeah, to be fair, that was just simply communication Communication breakdown. Yeah. The the telephone was not yet available. No... The protected price of British sugar actually benefited New England distillers, though they did not appreciate it. (laughs) Drag them. Drag them, Britannica. (laughs) More objectionable to the colonists were the stricter bonding regulations for shipmasters whose cargoes were subject to seizure and confiscation by British customs commissioners and who were placed under the authority of the Vice Admiralty Court in distant Nova Scotia if they violated the trade rules or failed to pay duties. Put them in Virginia. Put the vice admiralty court in Virginia. In Virginia, why I beg is of it you. in Nova Scotia? That's so. I don't weird. know. Maybe because you can hit Nova Scotia first because it like jets out a little bit. Oh, maybe. It? Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, that's my only, my literal only that's so suggestion weird. as to why this is in Nova Scotia. It's so very far. It's so very far. As a result of the Sugar Act, the early clandestine trade in foreign sugar and thus much colonial maritime commerce was severely hampered. So yeah, they're like trying to get stuff. They can't get stuff. Nobody can make their cakes. Birthdays are suffering. There's yeah. no like, you know. And They're, they're tra- seizing they're, ships. They're it's seizing never good ships. when you're like seizing ships. That's no. when people get really mad because get that's all we mad. have are yeah. ships. Yeah, yeah. So that was the Sugar Act. And next up, I think, is I think it's one of the the most famous act, the Stamp Act. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's like the most well-known one. But let's talk about the Stamp Act. These are coming from herstory.com. So to recoup some of the massive debt left over from the war with France, Parliament passed laws such as the Stamp Act, which for the first time taxed a wide range of transactions in the colonies. So they're trying to introduce taxing. Yeah. And it's just not going to happen here in these United States. It's not going over well. No. Up until then, each colony had its own government, which decided which taxes they would have and collected them. They felt that they'd spent a lot of blood and treasure to protect the colonies from the Indians, and so they should pay their fair share. So the British are like, hey, we just saved your asses from the French and the Indians. Technically, yes, you are British citizens, so we kind of were supposed to save your asses anyways, uh, since you are under our empire, but... But a little gratitude and a little money would be nice. 
nevertheless, you're going to pay for the war that was actually against us for what you are a part of. Yeah. And cough it up. The colonists did not see it that way. They resented not only having to buy goods from the British, but pay tax on them as well. The tax never got collected because there were riots all over the place. They were like, we're not doing this. Mm -mm. We're not. Mm -mm. <laughs> Good luck getting this tax. We're, we're flooding the streets. Ultimately, none other than Stallion and the Sheets, Benjamin Franklin, convinced the British to rescind it, but that only made things worse. That made the Americans think that they could push back against anything the British wanted. So, I mean, yeah, like basically the Americans saw for the first time that if we cause enough of a stink about something, the British will back off. Yeah. And that... Is the first semblance. What's that smell? Is that independence? I smell it. I it's, smell it's it. Starting the, I can see the coal. I can smell it. Cinders are burning. They're turning orange. They're burning. They're burning. Mm -hmm. Hot dogs are getting ready to go on the fire. Yeah. So that was the Stamp Act, which then led to the Townshend Act. Townshend? Town Townshend? 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 Townshend. 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 It looks like Townshend. Townshend. I think it's Townshend. Okay. Let's go with it. That led to the Townshend Acts, from, which was from June to July of 1767. So we're creeping up on the big old war. Yep. Parliament, again, bless their hearts, tried to assert its authority by passing legislation to tax goods that the Americans imported from Great Britain. It's like, stop, like... This yep. one thing you keep, keep trying to it. do, stop. Stop. Like, stop. stop. Do something else. Mm -hmm. The Crown established a board of customs commissioners to stop smuggling and corruption among local officials in the colonies who were often in on the illicit trade. Of course they were. This is going to go well. Yeah, of course they were. Of course they were. Money. Everybody would be part of illicit trade if they got money. Yeah. Unless the Crown is literally in the colonies. Trying to over, which e still wouldn't even work. Like, they've already, like, they just, the fact that they think, like, just because they send, like, official British representatives, that those right. people aren't also going to be like, sure, give me, give me your money. Give and me I money. will take it and you can have your goods. Like, of course. Yeah. Americans struck back once again by organizing a boycott of British goods that were subject to taxation and began harassing the British customs commissioners. In an effort to quell the resistance, the British sent troops to occupy Boston, which only deepened the ill feeling. So like now I like, so the so now the colonies are like, you're trying this again? Yeah. Absolutely not. And they're getting a little more precocious. Like now, not only are we just like kind of peacefully protesting this and like, you know, whatever. Now we're starting to boycott. Now we're starting to like get in people's faces. Like we're growing into some little angsty teenagers mm -hmm. now because mm -hmm. first back. you had the Sugar Act, then you had the Stamp Act. Now you're throwing this bullshit Township Act, which is the exact same thing as the other two acts, but different. Like, yeah, stop it. Stop it. Of course, after that is, I would say of something very well known, the Boston Massacre that happened in March of 1770. So simmering tensions between the British occupiers and Boston residents boiled over one late afternoon 
when a disagreement between an apprentice wig maker and a British soldier led to a crowd of 200 colonists surrounding seven British troops. I'm so sorry. It never dawned on me that it was an apprentice wig maker. No, 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 no. I did not realize that was not a, a piece of information that I learned. Nope. Why are we leaving out the crux of this story, which was it was some poor apprentice wig maker, which means this young man was what? 15? Maybe. Like, maybe. Maybe. And clearly an important person because everybody wore wigs. So he probably knew a lot of people. They all came to his defense and were like, excuse us. I beg your pardon. Leave him alone. I need him to make my wig. He's going to make my wig. Oh, boy. When the Americans began taunting the British and throwing things at them, soldiers apparently lost their cool and began firing into the crowd. Which, I mean, you can't just shoot into a crowd of people if you're there as the army. That's considered poor form. Do you know what I mean? Even in 1770. I do believe it is against the it is poor form if you shoot at unarmed civilians. Yep. Okay. As the smoke cleared, three men, including an African-American sailor named Crispus Atticus, were dead, and two others were mortally wounded. The massacre became a useful propaganda tool for the colonists, especially after Paul Revere distributed an engraving that misleadingly depicted the British as the aggressors. I mean, propaganda, we love to see it. We love Mm -hmm. to see it. Yeah. And it's like, yes, you're right. The colonists were definitely the aggressors, but I'm sorry, they didn't have the guns. It's so interesting because it's like they're, you know, they're outnumbered 200 to seven. Sure. And like in a situation like that, you're like, I don't know what these colonists are going to, what they want, what they're going to be doing. They could kill us with their bare hands. Like, you know, I guess it's like, I would love to know. I would love to see it unfold and see Because, yeah, obviously, like, you being surrounded, certainly tensions are high. But at the same time, if you have the weapon that is yeah. the, <laughs> the, the mortally wounding weapon. Right. And you are also the army. Like, these, are, these also aren't, like, just other people. No, no, these are like British. These are like you're supposed to be trained. The British Army, yeah, to handle stressful yeah. situations. You're supposed to be trained to be outnumbered, right? Well, I think do recall that the British like to line up in formation, just sure. like obviously on the battlefront and like move yeah. forward and keep a pace, as opposed to like what the Americans then started doing, which is like hiding. Yeah, I'm gonna get like, on the ground. Actually, yeah. I'm gonna get on the ground. I'm gonna get in I'm this gonna get on the tree. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump on. I'm roof. gonna. Get a couple of British soldiers from my yeah. tree because they're all lined up. Yeah. The 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 US, the Americans, the colonists, they figured out levels. Yeah. <laughs> in a way that's very useful in battle with the British. Yes, yes, yes. Levels, depth. Exactly right. Perception. Yeah. So after the Boston Massacre, we had the Boston Tea Party, which we did an episode on. We did an episode on. It was a great little episode. It was a great Go little and episode. listen to it if you want a deep dive into the Tea Party. Yes. So uh, this was in December of 1773. The British eventually withdrew their forces from Boston and repealed much of the onerous townshed legislation. It was so hard to say. 
Townshend legislation. Townshend is not a great word. It's not a great, great name. Word. Not great. Townshend. No. Townshend. But don't I do it. wonder if it's supposed to be Townsend, but the H is silent. I don't know. I mean, and maybe it's old the, British. The, the King's English. Nobody can understand it. No, no. Well, also they had wooden teeth. So speaking the King's English. <laughs> but they left in place the tax on tea. And in 1773, they enacted a new law, the Tea Act, to prop up the financially struggling British East India Company. I mean... Of course. Just, of course. Come on. Of course. I mean, I'm annoyed. I'm ready to revolt at this point. Now I'm right, like, we're just reading again? about them and I'm like, come the fuck on. The act gave the company extended favorable treatment under tax regulation so that it could sell tea at a price that undercut the American merchants who imported from Dutch traders. The Americans wanted to be able to trade with any country they wanted, which like that is the crux of it. Like, if you want to trade yeah. just openly with other countries, you're essentially not yeah. a British colony. Like, the the British are like, no, you buy our stuff. You belong to us. You buy you're our like, stuff. You're barely here. If I make the dinner, you eat it. If I make the dinner, you eat it. Like, that. Like yeah. you don't get to, like, go to McDonald's because you're not happy with chicken and rice. You're going right. to sit here and eat this. And the Americans were right. like, fuck you. I have a license in a car. Bye. 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 Mm -hmm. The Sons of Liberty, which was a radical group, decided to confront the British head on, thinly disguised as Mohawks. Oh my God. Wow. They boarded three ships in Boston Harbor and destroyed more than 92,000 pounds of British tea by dumping it into the harbor. To make the point that they were rebels rather than vandals, they avoided harming any of the crew or damaging the ships themselves, which I just love. Yes. Like, yeah, you're angry. It's not at the, the ship. Tea. It's not the ship's fault. It's not the ships. It's not the people. They're just doing their thing. The they are just there. They are just the merchants. That's like, just a crew. This was I think that was so smart. Yeah. And the next day, they even replaced a padlock that had been broken. Yes. Polite. 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 They've got manners. Polite rebels. Nevertheless, the act of defiance, quote, really ticked off the British government, Randall's explains. I mean, yeah. 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 They're mad. They're, They're mad. mad. Their tea. You're coming after our tea? Yeah. <laughs> after all we did for you. <laughs> How dare you? Go to your room. Many of the East India Company's shareholders were members of parliament. That's the major issue. These people I mean, were like, yeah. I am losing money out of my pocket. Let's pass a law. Let's get the yeah. money from the colonists so that they like. It's a conflict of interest. It's a if conflict there of ever interest. One. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is why, like Jimmy Carter, had to like sell, sell his, his peanut, peanut farm. farm. Yep. It is a conflict of interest. It stems from this. Yeah, and he did. And he did. And he did. And that can't be overstated. He did sell his peanut. He farm. did sell his peanut farm. The shareholders who are members of Parliament, they each paid one thousand pounds in sterling which would probably be about a million dollars now for a share of the company to get a piece of the action from all of this tea that they were going to force down the colonists' throats. So when these bottom-of-the-rung people in Boston destroyed their tea, it was a very serious thing to them. Sure. It doesn't get more disgusting than destroying the king's tea. No, no. That's like, how dare you? You've destroyed my investment. This was my investment. (laughs) It was my retirement fund. This is my money now, my sterling silver. This is my sterling silver. How dare you? So then after that, 
were the coercive acts, which were from March to June in 1774. They were in response to the Boston Tea Party, and the British government decided that it had to tame the rebellious colonists in Massachusetts. In the spring of 1774, Parliament passed a series of laws known as the Coercive Acts, which closed Boston Harbor until restitution was paid for the destroyed tea, replaced the colony's elected council with one appointed by the British, they gave sweeping powers to the British military governor, General Thomas Gage, and forbade town meetings without approval. This, this is just the wrong, crazy. This is the wrong reaction. Like, this- I'm just so curious. I'm like, you saw how they reacted when you tried to tax sugar, stamps, and tea. Yeah. And now you're going to, and like, I just feel like they went from like zero to a hundred in yeah. one act. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Where they're like, we'll show you. Now we're going to shut down the harbor. And then we're also going to repeal your elected council. And then you're also, you know what? The military gets more power now. Yeah. Suck on and you that. Know what? I'm like, you can't what? meet without approval. Like, no, no, no. We're not. Absolutely living not. Like this. Yeah. This is. We're not living like this. This was bad diplomacy mm-hmm. by the British. I'm like, like you guys got to ease into this. Not a good idea. Yeah. So yet another provision protected British colonial officials who were charged with capital offenses from being tried in Massachusetts instead requiring that they be sent to another colony or back to Great Britain for trials. So like, nope, they don't want, they didn't want like officials, British officials who had committed crimes to be tried in the area where they had maybe committed these crimes. They wanted to move them to someplace else. To a gentler place. Or just go back to Great Britain where like nothing was ever going to happen They wouldn't be tried. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Perhaps the most provocative provision was the Quartering Act, which allowed British military officials to demand accommodations for their troops in unoccupied houses and buildings in town, rather than having to stay out in the countryside. While it didn't force the colonists to board troops in their own homes, they had to pay for the expense of housing and feeding the soldiers. Fuck you. Absolutely not. The quartering of troops eventually became one of the grievances cited in the Declaration of Independence. Yes. Yeah, I'm not yes. going to pay for your food. No, who are you getting out of here? Ugh. No. Mm-mm, no, Mm-mm. thank you. No. I mean, yeah, it's like the fact that they did all of this in like one fell swoop. I'm like, fatal mistake, my dudes. Yeah. You probably you probably could have gotten some of this had you done it like in a very minor increments. Yes. But to just throw it all, it's like all of those people who are kind of like, ugh, I don't know, I don't want to do a war. I don't want to do a war. Like now they're like, I dicey. guess we gotta do a war. Like, I'm so sorry, I guess we have to do a war now. Yeah. Like Yeah. I yeah. think Great Britain shot itself in the foot with in this the foot. one. A hundred percent. In the foot. You can't yes. close Boston Harbor. Come on. No. no. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? The British? No oh. town meetings. Who the fuck do you Come think on. you are? Come, Come on. on. We love our town Come meetings. On. Love a town meeting. Oh, man. Yeah. And that leads us up to, like, the aggression. Yes. Yes. The anger. The battles. Which we will cover in our next episode because yes. we want you to be yearning for more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we couldn't do all of this in one episode. Like, we're already at, like, an hour. And we've just talked about why we want to fight the British. Right. And there are many battles and and, and different Lot. things that happened that we couldn't. Revolutionary War was, was big. 
Oh, it's bug. She, she was bug. bug. She was bugging and popping. She was bug. She was bug. She was significant. So we're mm-hmm. gonna give a lot of space for the actual mm-hmm. battles. Sort of the you know crossing the Delaware. What is George Washington doing? Where is he sending the troops? Those sorts of things. Yes, the fun stuff. The fun stuff. The fun stuff. But in the meantime, we love you guys so so much. Happy Fourth of July. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can rate us, you can review us, you can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.